Parashurama, Amara Bapa, hallowed be your name. Dein Reich komme. You will be done. Em Shaben in Jenova Ienzo Ezuluin. Pina nuestra chaletuate zilele, tenia nova astas. Y perdona nuestros pecados, así como nosotros perdonamos a quien peca contra nosotros. Y no nos induces a tentación, mas libranos do mal. Terijo Bantire, Agbarantire, Ogontire. Em vez de vez, amén. 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 Hello, hello. So good to be with you this morning. It's my absolute pleasure uh, to be bringing to you the final part of this series uh, on the Lord's Prayer, looking at the final line of the prayer. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, some, men, some of you may not know uh, who I am. Just to add to the introduction, far and away, if you don't know who I am, far and away the most exciting thing about me uh, is my wife. Um, we got married uh, very recently, um, and I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding, uh, but the theme of this morning, the theme of this particular line is focusing on praise, and in preparation for this, in a sense, I recently got married, because there's nothing like a wedding to show you how praise works. If you've ever been to a wedding, you'll know that the, that's one of the human occasions where people are so full of praise. Everyone wants to come up to the bride and tell her how beautiful she looks. Your hair is lovely. Your face is lovely. Your dress is lovely. Your husband is lovely. You look beautiful. We, they they want to give her all the praise, don't they? We, um, and it's right and it's good, and, and I enjoyed that. We had, a, uh, we had a meet and greet line after our wedding as people were kind of filing into the reception, and people would come up to Isabel, my wife, and they'd say, you look so beautiful. They'd give her all the praise. They'd come up to me and they'd say, you're a lucky man. And, uh, but I didn't mind because when you love someone, you want them to get the praise, don't you? When, when you love someone, you want them to receive the praise. And, and so in a sense, in this final line of the Lord's Prayer, this is exactly what we're doing today. We're going to be giving God the praise. And actually, as we unpack this line of, of the prayer, I believe that we're going to discover some keys ourselves to growing as praisers. Let's just remind ourselves of, of the prayer so far. It's going to be up on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. And as I do so, just reflect on the words and, and let's just receive again all that we've learned in this great series. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. I love the conclusion of this prayer. One of the reasons why I love it so much is because the devil doesn't get the last word. Did you notice last week Simon talked about, Lord, protect us, keep us from the evil one. But, but today, as we finish, we're getting our eyes off of that and we're getting our eyes back where we started, firmly fixed on God. In a sense, the prayer has gone full circle, hasn't it? At the beginning, we learned to acknowledge God. We prayed our Father. We hallowed his name. We prayed his kingdom would come didn't we? We prayed for provision. We prayed for forgiveness for ourselves. We released forgiveness for other people. We asked for protection. And now at the finale, we're putting our eyes back where we began. We're focusing again on God. And 
You might have noticed, depending on the translation um, that you're using today, that, that this line, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, that may or may not be in the main body of the text. It may not be in the passage itself. It may actually be in a footnote at the bottom of the page. And, and the reason for this is that theologians and biblical scholars are divided about whether or not this particular line was in the original manuscript. They don't agree, they, they, they don't come to a consensus about whether it was in the original manuscript, but even if it wasn't in the original manuscript, there's every reason for us to take it incredibly seriously and to unpack it in the same way as we have the rest of the prayer and to apply the lessons to our own lives. Uh, the reasons for this are, are firstly that even if it wasn't in the original manuscript, it was probably added in at, it, within a hundred years from the prayer beginning to be prayed. So it was already part of early Christian tradition. And, and the second reason that we should take it seriously is because no Jewish prayer written around this time would ever end on the downbeat note of focusing on the devil. It would always end in triumphant praise. So whether it's in the main body of the text or whether it's in a footnote, you can have every confidence that there are things to learn from this passage and that as we apply this line to our lives, we're going to grow in our ability to pray well. Eugene Peterson man who wrote the, the message, paraphrase of the Bible, he said this, he said, all prayer ends with praise. All prayer ends with praise. What he's saying is that, that once we've prayed to God and in so doing encountered and seen who he is, we can't help but finish with a crescendo of praise. And, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. As we finish this prayer, we're going to be ending with praise. And, and I actually think that, that far from this just being a, an insignificant addition to this prayer, as we unpack it, we're going to be learning three keys, if you like, three particular ways that we individually and we corporately can grow as a people of praise. I'm going to take the prayer line by line, word by word. So let's begin with the first word, yours. First word, yours. And the key here to growing in praise is to cultivate a yours not mine attitude. Cultivate a yours, not mine attitude. And in a sense, this point is foundational. So you'll notice I kind of refer back to it throughout the message. I wonder if you've ever heard the, the, the modern myths, if you like, summarized in these slogans. Maybe you've seen the L'Oreal advert, because you're worth it. Or, or maybe you've, you've heard the song, I did it my way. And, uh, and this prayer is revolutionary, because right at the beginning of this final line, Jesus teaches us to not focus on us, but to say, yours. He totally flips our tendency sometimes to be inward and forces us to look outward and crucially to look upward. Yours is a radical concept in our society, isn't it? It's all about surrender. The word yours implies in this context that my life is not about me only, it's actually about God. Now, we prefer the word mine to the word yours as a general rule. Most of us do. Children certainly do, okay? Children don't have to learn the word mine, but the word yours doesn't necessarily come so naturally to them. My wife, Isabel, works in a school, and the, the kids have, have toys in their lunch break, and I very much doubt that any of the kids go pick up their favorite toy, run over to their friend and shout, yours, you're, you take the toy, I'm giving it to you, it belongs to you. What do they do? They find their friend who's got the favorite toy and they nick it off them because they say, mine. They don't know the word yours, they use the word mine. But Jesus teaches us in this final line of the prayer to flip it on its head 
and to say yours. My life is all about you. I love the message translation of this passage, talking about the Father, not talking about us, talking about God. Jesus says these words. He says, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You are ablaze in beauty. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. If you were to just take a cursory look at those lines, what is the word that sticks out to you? What's the word that's most repeated? Your. Not mine. Your. You're in charge. I love this because it just emphasizes the sense to which the prayer ends focusing on God, not focusing on us. When we, um, when, when we recognize that God is worthy of our praise, which is what we've been doing throughout this whole prayer, we also recognize that he's able to deal with our problems. When we recognize he's worthy of our praise, we also recognize he's able to deal with our problems. And, and this is significant because although we don't necessarily like the idea of surrender, when we understand that we can give ourselves and all that that involves to God, we actually find it incredibly releasing. And actually, when we discover to do surrender well, I think we'll step into another level of freedom and another level of release. We acknowledge our lack, but we also, at the same time, crucially acknowledge his ability. I wonder if you've, if you've heard this, this line before. It's, a, it's in a line of poetry. It's also in a film. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Anyone ever heard that line in the poem Invictus and the film by the same name? I remember going to the cinema a few years ago and watching that film and being struck by this line. Such a powerful concept and yet so completely wrong. I'm not the master of my fate and I'm not the captain of my soul. Jesus teaches us in this first word of the final line of the prayer to flip that on its head recognize God's the master of my fate, and God is the captain of my soul. It's about you, it's not about me. And doesn't that, doesn't that take the pressure off a little bit? If we're honest, doesn't that take the pressure off a bit? Experts reckon today that, that the UK is more stressed than it ever has been. 50% of Britons, according to a study I recently read, have got rising stress levels. 50% of Britons. And we know, don't we, that, that things like bills, finances, problems with the neighbors, all kinds of everyday anxieties can weigh heavy on us and cause us to have stress and anxiety. But contrast the fact that 50% of Britons have rising stress levels. Contrast that with the words of King David in Psalm 68 verse 19. King David, a man who we're going to be hearing about in future weeks, but a man who we probably already know had many, many things to be stressed about. King David wrote this. He said, praise be to the Lord, to the God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Praise be to the Lord, the God and Savior who daily bears our burdens. King David knew what it was to have a yours, not mine attitude in prayer. He could come before God and say, yours. It's about your glory and I'm giving you the responsibility. And that created a release for him. How would it look for us if we prayed this kind of way on a regular basis? If every time we came before the Lord in, in prayer for a situation at work or an anxiety at home, we came knowing that the God who sustains the universe in the palm of his hand, that same God has got answers and ability for our current situation. Wouldn't that bring another level of freedom and another level of confidence and another level of release? All situations are already in the hands of the God who holds the whole universe. And what we do when we come before him in surrender and praise is we acknowledge that and we offer them up to him again. Larry Eisenberg, he has this great quote. He says, for peace of mind, 
resign as general manager of the universe. For peace of mind, resign as general manager of the universe. God is the general manager of the universe. And when we come before him with a yours, not mine attitude, we get our focus on him. So firstly, if you want to grow in praise, cultivate a yours, not mine attitude in prayer. And as we do that, I believe we'll find it so releasing. Secondly, as the prayer moves on, the prayer says yours, but yours now is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And the key here is to recognize that God is truly sovereign. God is truly sovereign. Let me explore these words, kingdom, power, and glory, a bit more. Many of you will remember that Pastor Agu, uh, a few weeks back, he, he talked about the kingdom, a kingdom being a place where the rule and reign of the king is paramount. The decisions of the king are the ultimate authority. What the king wants goes. The place looks how the king wants it to look. It, it reflects his nature. The king sets the character. The king sets the tone. The king sets the culture. The, king ref, the kingdom reflects the nature of the king. And when we recognize that the kingdom belongs to God, that's an incredibly powerful thing in our lives. Elsewhere in the Bible, in, in Romans 14, 17, the apostle Paul, he describes the kingdom of God as being righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I, I want more of those things in my life. I want more righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and if I want to grow in that, if I want to grow in becoming a kingdom person, then the way to do that is to increase my proximity with the king. Because if all of those things ultimately belong to him, then my life is going to look more like his kingdom when he becomes king more and more in my life. Does that make sense? If, if you want more peace, if you want more righteousness, if you want more joy in the Holy Spirit, then continue to enthrone the Lord as king in your life. And it will be no surprise when you notice that your life begins to manifest more of the kingdom. Your life will begin to look more like the kingdom. Develop your walk with the king. And as he becomes king more and more in our lives, the landscape of our lives will look more and more like the kingdom. Second thing we're taught to acknowledge as belonging to God, firstly the kingdom, but secondly, the power. The power belongs to God as well. I love this confident declaration in the sovereignty of God. Yours is the power. One of the reasons why I love this, this line so much is that actually in the original language, the word power means more than what we simply understand it as. Actually, in the original language, the word power refers to strength, power, and ability. Strength, power, and ability. Have you ever noticed that, that sometimes there's a tendency in our society to, to want to focus in on self-improvement, to maximize our strength, our power, our ability, our mastery, our control, to be all that we can be? But Jesus teaches us in this prayer to acknowledge that all power, strength, and ability ultimately belongs to God and ultimately comes from God. And here's the incredible truth is that because of the death and sacrifice, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, says in the Bible that the same power that raised him from the dead is now living and active in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that actually when we acknowledge that all the power belongs to him, we don't lose the power, we actually get access to it. Because the same power that God controls, he uses through his people says in the Bible that we've got strength to overcome. 
You might well say, well, Steve, I I feel weak. I I don't feel very powerful. I feel incredibly weak right now. Well, Paul says in the Bible that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you feel weak right now, it's a great opportunity for God to be extra strong through you and show off his ability through our inability. You might well say, well, Steve, I feel timid. I've not got any confidence. I've got a spirit of timidity. Well, elsewhere, Paul says, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. The power of Christ is available to us when we acknowledge that it's his. We get access to it when we give him the credit for it. And again, in the same way that we see more of the kingdom in our lives, we, we see more of the kingdom when we increase our proximity with the king. We see more of the power of God in our lives when we increase our proximity with the one who's powerful. When we lean on his strength, when we rely on his ability, he begins to work through us and in us in a powerful way. And the third thing the prayer teaches us to recognize as belonging to God is yours is the glory. Yours is the glory. An article I read recently said that they surveyed a group of 10 to 12 year olds and, uh, and asked them in effect, what's your greatest life ambition? What would you ultimately like to be? What would you like to become in your lifetime? And, uh, and these, these 10 to 12 year olds, they said, we want to ultimately be famous for the sake of being famous. They, they didn't want to become a great footballer and then become known because of that, or a great singer and then everyone know who they were because of that. They just wanted to be famous for the sake of being famous. And, and we live in a society that, 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 that sometimes is concerned with increasing our own glory. We, we, we want to be famous. We want to better and benefit our reputation. But again, in the same way as in the first point, Jesus teaches us to focus on God, not ourselves. Here he says, yours is the glory. My life isn't actually about me becoming famous at all. It's about Jesus becoming famous. My life, my life isn't about my reputation. My life is about his reputation. It's not ultimately about my glory whatsoever. It's about the glory of God. Jesus teaches us to flip our focus onto him. And I'm sure many of you will know some great examples of people who have done these three things, who've, who've lived in such a way that they gave credit for the kingdom, the power, and the glory belonging to God. These people recognize that God is truly sovereign in their life. I can think of people from church history through to people in my family and in my life group who live in that kind of a way, and I'm sure you can too. But you know, the ultimate example, the ultimate example of somebody who did this is in the life and death of Jesus Christ. In Philippians, it says how Jesus gave up everything, becoming obedient, even to death and death on a cross. And it says in Philippians 2, 11, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Isn't that an amazing example? Isn't that an incredible example to follow him? But you know, there are others as well. The Apostle Paul, he lived a life that, reconciled, that, that, that recognized the, the sovereignty of God in his situations and circumstances. I'm sure you'll agree with me if you know the story of the Apostle Paul. He lived a radical life that was based on a deep conviction that God was ultimately sovereign. And we, we know this because he writes to the Romans the way he concludes his letter in In the book of Romans, he says this. He says, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, 
to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. That sounds to me like the words of a man who knows that it's God who's sovereign and who knows that the kingdom and power and glory belong to him. Closer to home in a sense, uh, in, in the 1950s, there was a, a man in America called Jim Elliott who, who went to college out there, got married, felt called to the mission field. He left America with a, a young family and moved to Ecuador. In Ecuador, he spent his time ministering in a very remote part of the country to a very unreached and dangerous tribe. And just a, sh- a, f- a few short years after he arrived in Ecuador, he was killed. He was martyred for sharing the gospel in that nation. And Jim Elliot is probably the most famous for a fantastic quotation that he left us with. He said, he is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. Does that make sense? He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Jim Elliot lived a radical life based on the knowledge that God was sovereign. And so because of that, he could give away the kingdom. He gave away the power. He gave away the glory. He gave away everything, and he received something so much better in return. He gave it up, and he was given purpose and fullness in return. So how can we grow in praise? Well, firstly, cultivate a yours, not mine attitude. And secondly, recognize that it's God who's truly sovereign. God is truly sovereign. And now now we move to the the final section of this prayer, the final word in a sense of this prayer, the word forever, forever. And the key here is to invest for an eternal future. Invest for an eternal future. I I don't know if you have a bucket list. Uh, You might well have a bucket list. Bucket lists are basically ideas of dreams and goals and aspirations, things that we want to achieve during our lifetime. Now, I've got goals and aspirations that that I want to achieve during my lifetime, and, and that's good, and that can give us direction in the present. But sometimes the danger with this sort of bucket list mentality is we can buy into the lie that we're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the present. But we're not. The the Bible says, King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11, He, God, he has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. That means that even the best and most incredible achievements that we get and attain to during our lifetime are only a very, very, very pale imitation, a very pale reflection of what's going to be going on for all eternity. God has planted eternity in our hearts. That means that deep within you and me, whether we know it or not, there's a big bit of us that's going to be unsatisfied with things that are temporary. We can't physically, we can't, we're not built to find our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate fulfillment in the present. We're built with eternity in mind. Let me me use an illustration which I'm borrowing from another preacher Imagine that this rope, this rope is three meters long, okay, but imagine that it went on forever and ever and ever. Imagine it stretched around this room 20, 30 times, went out into the street, kept going for eternity. This rope represents your life. This this rope represents your life, which will go on forever and ever. And this tiny little red section, this 10 centimeters or so of red, represents your mortal life, your life here on this earth, the life that we can see and are now experiencing. Now, would you agree with me that this little red bit is quite a lot shorter than the rest? 
And imagine this rope doesn't stop here, this rope goes on forever. This bit is actually quite small in comparison to all of eternity. And you know, most of us actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we actually make decisions in this red section only considering the consequences they are going to bear in the rest of this red section. So, so imagine we're here, we make a decision. We, we, we're making that decision based on what we perceive the result to be at this point here. But we forget that there's an eternity that's going to be following. You see, the Bible says that actually the decisions we make in the here and now are going to have eternal effects. They're going to have eternal consequences and eternal rewards. You know, there are some things in life that we can't take with us. We can't, we can't die and take our car with us, can we? We can't take our money or our house or our possessions. But if we choose to invest our lives and our resources in things that are going to bear eternal consequences, then the forever that's following is going to look very different. And our lives in the present are going to look very different too. If, if we choose to invest our time, treasure, and talents in things that bear eternal consequences, eternal rewards, then our lives are going to look different in the red section. Imagine that we, we deliberately, as a result of this, choose to spend time investing in the treasury of prayer. Well, that's going to bear eternal consequences. Um, imagine if we're, if we're deliberately choosing to invest time in the treasury of worship. Well, that's something that, as we'll see in a minute, is going to be going on forever and ever and ever. We're just investing in what we're going to be doing for eternity. Imagine that, that, that we're choosing to invest our emotional energy, our love, our compassion, our gentleness, our, our joy in people, in friendships, in, in community, in reaching people who don't yet know the Lord. Well, that's choosing to invest in something that's going to have eternal consequences. And do you know, the, the very best thing that we can do is to invest the entire of this red section in something that's going to be going on forever. And do you know, that decision begins when we choose to enthrone the king as the king of the kingdom. When we choose to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. When we commit our whole lives to him, then we begin to make the best decision we've ever made. And we choose to say, this red section, I'm not giving it, I'm not keeping it to myself. It belongs to you, God. And I want you to use this red bit in such a way that benefits me for all eternity. There's going to be a forever that's following. So far, the prayer has said, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And, and now we actually discover the degree to which it is going to be his. And it's his forever and ever. That means it's his for now and all eternity. It's not going to change. The rule of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the reward of Jesus will never ever end. At the point at which we commit our lives to Christ, we invest ourselves into a kingdom that's never going to be shaken. We invest ourselves into the glory of a God who's eternal, unchanging, perfect, consistent. The prayer ends with a triumphant note of declaring the absolute divinity and unchanging sovereignty of a forever God. We're used to change in our society, aren't we? We like things to be quick and we like things to have instant results. We expect things to not last for very long. But, but this prayer ends on a note of recognizing there is actually something that has always been and always will be. There is actually a way that we can use our lives that's going to invest in something that's going to bear eternal fruit. There is actually one who's always been on the throne and is always going to be on the throne. He's a forever God. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end, and he's going to be going on for all eternity. He is 
our loving, gracious, gentle, tender, compassionate Father that we talked about earlier in this series. But you know, he's also God, unchanging, holy, perfect, to be revered, adored, and worshipped. What an incredible truth to acknowledge at the end of this series, that the God who is the great I am, the one who Dave was talking about, who, who is who we need him to be when we need him to be, that God is going to be worshipped for all eternity. And you and I get to invest our lives in doing just that. We get to invest our lives in worshipping the forever God. What an incredible truth. When, when we pray like this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we end by acknowledging yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever, amen. What, what we're actually doing is, is we, we're not just here on a Sunday. We're stepping outside of our current situation and circumstance. We're entering before the throne room of God in heaven and we're participating in an eternal, ongoing act of worship to an eternal, ongoing, forever God. We're participating in something that's been going on since the very beginning of time. We're participating in something that is never, ever, ever going to end. We're experiencing in the moment a foretaste of how we're going to be spending eternity. We're choosing to do in this very moment what we were actually designed to do on the earth and what we're actually designed to do forever and ever and ever in eternity. We're worshipping the forever God. And I want us to end in just a moment. I want us to end on this note of worship. I want us to do what what John does in the book of Revelation, to acknowledge an incredible picture of an incredible God and to to come before him and acknowledge in worship who he is. I, I want us to kind of come to this point of crescendo in the prayer. When we've acknowledged his character, we've delighted in his goodness, we've asked for his blessing and protection and favor, we've, we've accepted his forgiveness and we've released it to other people, and now we're coming before the sovereign forever king, and we're bowing down in worship, and we're giving him adoration, and we're doing right now what we're going to be doing for all eternity. John writes in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, he has a picture of heaven. And he records what he sees in this picture. It's a magnificent picture. And, and in this picture, there are angels and there are, there are thousands and thousands of beings giving praise and honor and glory to God. And, and I want us, the, the words of this prayer are going to come up on the screen behind me. I want us to join together as one and pray with the angels a prayer of adoration and thanksgiving to a forever and eternal God. I want us to step outside of this space and of this moment, and I want us to join in with eternity. I want us to experience right now a foretaste of what we're going to be doing forever. So why don't you pray along with me the words of Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And on that note of adoration and thanksgiving 
to a sovereign and perfect king. I, w- I want us to, to, to end this series by, by deliberately taking our focus off of ourselves and looking onto him. And, and just as we come to a conclusion right now, I want us to acknowledge in our own hearts the sovereignty and perfect nature of this forever and eternal king. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you're a good father. You're kind and compassionate and gentle and gracious. Lord, we thank you for for your nature that we've learned about. We thank you for your goodness extended towards us in forgiveness. And Father, right now, we just come before your throne and we thank you for the privilege of being a people who can give you praise. We thank you for the privilege of, of joining with the angels and saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And Father, I pray that, that, that as we as a group of people, a company of people, cultivate a yours, not mine attitude, as we grow in a people who recognize you are truly sovereign, and as we choose to invest our lives for an eternal future, Father, I pray that we'll be a people of praise and thanksgiving forever and ever, we pray. Amen.